I invite you to follow along with me as I read what for many people is a stunning passage of Scripture. So follow along. You see it printed in your outline. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And have been and having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. In his book, uh, From Guilt to Glory, Ray Steadman tells of a time he was on Wilshire Boulevard in Hollywood in the, either the 1950s or 1960s, and there was a man with a sandwich board. Do you know what a sandwich board is? Two pieces of plywood attached by leather straps that you put over your shoulders that you carry around a message. And there are lots of people on Wilshire Boulevard wearing signboards. And this man came walking toward him with a white background, I would suppose, and bright red or black letters, it says boldly, I am a slave of Jesus Christ. Walks past him. He turns and looks at the back. And the back of the sandwich board said, Whose slave are you? And Ray Steadman said, That man with the sandwich board captured... Romans chapter 6, so simply, clearly, succinctly. And this morning, let's wish that that man with the sandwich board was here walking in front of us with his own declaration, I am a slave of Jesus Christ, and asking everyone who meets him that same question, whose slave are you? Now, I have to admit it's a bit of a whiplash moment when you read the word slavery, as it should be for us. We, given our own national history with the terrible chattel slavery of, of, uh, of man-stealing, so condemned even in the Old Testament, and yet 
And yet slavery, a terrible reality around the world through the centuries and even in quarters of the world today. And we find, rightly so, that word to be repulsive to us. And yet Paul says, he almost apologizes. He almost apologizes down in verse 19. Did you catch that? He says, you know, I, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just addressing, speaking in your human limitations. There is still something we can learn in using this word as we learn about what sin does to us. It enslaves us. And what it means to have a better master to whom we are bond servants as well. And so, as we have been working together through the book of Romans, and it is work, right? (laughs) I expect you to do work when I'm preaching, not just because of my limitations, but the scriptures can be intense. As we're working through the book of Romans, you will recall how we got to this discussion. And I just want to quickly review. In chapter 5, we learned of Adam, the federal head of the entire human race. And Jesus Christ, the federal head of the entire community of the covenant of grace, his people. And I explained to the children in children's church last week that they are both like captains of the team, and the captain makes a decision for the team, which way we'll kick the ball or whether we're going to receive or kick off. And, and, and Adam made a terrible choice for all of humanity. And in his rebellion, he sinned, and we sinned in him. But Jesus Christ came, and he lived the life we should have lived and died the death we deserve to die. And as our captain secured our forgiveness of sins and our salvation. And he did for us what we could never do for ourselves. Grace. Chapter 5, 4, 5. All about grace, forgiveness, justification. But then in chapter 6, as we saw last week, Paul begins to address this, dis- this subject of sanctification. And we sing in the hymn, Rock of Ages, Cleft for Me. We sing, cleanse me from sin's guilt. That's justification. That's grace. That's self. And cleanse me from sin's power. Give to me the double cure. Cleanse me of its guilt and power. And it's that second part he's talking about here. And we noticed that he does not begin, okay, now that we're talking about sanctification, here are the rules, A, B, and C, and X, Y, and Z. (laughs) Even as he talks about sanctification, he doesn't start there, but he says, no, consider, present, know your union with Christ. Consider the benefits that are yours in that union over and over, and then present yourself to God. And now he comes back To the same question he asked in verse 1, we're now down in verse 15, and he says the same question again. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under law but under grace? And I almost get the feeling that the Apostle Paul doesn't trust me. He needs to come back to the subject. If, I were to, if any of you have teenagers, if I were to ask them, does your mom repeat herself to you all the time? 
Did your dad ever say the same things over and over again? What would you think these teenagers would say around here? Yeah. And Paul, he comes back to the same question again because it's a hard question. And this time he's a little more severe. He says, may it never be. And then he speaks with this severe terminology of our life in terms of slavery, and he lays out two possibilities, only two. Are you a slave of sin, or are you a slave of God? Our friend with the sandwich board is walking in front of us. He's saying, whose slave are you? For there's no neutrality. You cannot be the Switzerland of the church, right? They're neutral. And there are, I meet people like this all the time. Well, I don't want to be a sinner. I'd like to be a nice guy, but I'm not interested in that God stuff either. You meet people like that? Well, they're kidding themselves. They are already slaves to sin. They can't see it, perhaps. Nobody likes to admit that I'm proud, sensualistic, and selfish, and unbelieving, but every human being is born that way and serves that sin. Bob Dylan, Bob Dylan wrote that song that shocked and angered the music world when he said, you've got to serve somebody. No neutrality. He at least admitted it. And Jesus, he got that from Jesus. Jesus teaches in Luke 16, verse 13, no one can serve two masters. Right? We've had people join our church. We had a whole bunch of people stand up here. They joined our church. We asked them that second question. Do you acknowledge yourself to be sinners in the sight of God? Yes, and that second question, do you receive and rest upon Jesus Christ alone for salvation as he is offered in the gospel. That is, will you have Jesus as your Savior? And there is always a hearty yes. But then the third question flows inevitably. Do you resolve and promise in humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the follower of Christ? And as the second question says, will you have him as your Savior? The third question inevitably comes, will you have him as your Lord? What will we do if someone says, yes, I'll have Jesus as my Savior. There's no better deal than hell insurance. But eh, eh, I'm not so interested in having Jesus as my Lord. Sounds like a bit of a burden. Sounds like bondage and slavery to me. No thanks, but no thanks. Well, and, and there are people who say that. But they can't join our church. It's not because we're narrow-minded or bigoted. It's because of passages like this. Let's say when you receive Jesus, you receive him as Savior and as Lord. And that it's only in humble reliance on the grace, and we need grace, and we stumble and fall many times. Nobody's asking you to be perfect to join this church, or the pastor gets disqualified first in line. But we know him as Savior and Lord. Why? Because our life is not our own. You are not your own. Charles Wesley describes it like this. 
You know, he says, long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I rose, the I woke, the dungeon flamed with light. And now, the next phrase, what? My chains fell off. Justification. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and did whatever I wanted. Talked however I wanted. Judged everybody else, full of hate and malice in my soul, because I was already forgiven. It doesn't matter how I live. And no, he says, my chains fell off, my heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. That's the picture now in Romans 6 that we have together. The best statement I know, I printed in your sermon outline. We say it oh, every seven or eight weeks in the time of the creed, the Heidelberg Catechism. Question one, look at it with me. How do we answer that question? That I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, he has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from the tyranny of the devil. That's Romans 4 and 5. He also watches over me in such a way that not a hair can fall from my head without the will of my Father in heaven. In fact, all things must work together for my salvation. But now Romans 6. Because I belong to him, Christ by his Holy Spirit, assures me of eternal life and makes me wholeheartedly willing and ready from now on to live for him. And it's from the heart. Did you catch in the phrase when Paul says, you now present yourselves from the heart? We don't want to be the church of superficial plastic Christians, do we? You know, sort of plastic smile on the outside holier than thou on the outside. No. We want to be the church of the humble believe, humble who believe and who follow our master and want to be his disciple. You know? In my flesh, I am a proud man. In my flesh, I am a stingy, selfish man. In my flesh, I am I could be addicted to any substance, alcohol or drugs. I promise you that. I would tell any lie in the world to get what I wanted in my flesh. I would be mean to you if I thought it would put me ahead of you. That's in my flesh. But in Jesus Christ, he comes to us and the proud becomes humble. And the mean becomes kind. And the stingy becomes generous. And the liar loves to tell the truth and he makes us new. So he says again, present yourself because you're not your own. Present yourself. Teach your children to present themselves to the Lord. I get up in the morning, just like Michael said so beautifully in the beginning of the service. We say our prayers in the morning. I say, Lord, here I am. Good morning. It's me again. And I'm yours today, Lord. You know, in that meeting I have coming up, I'm yours. Those phone calls I need to make, Lord, I'm yours. I'm not my own. When I go to school today, 
in class. Some of those kids are going to be pretty nasty. I'm yours, Lord. Lord, I, I tend to wander. You know, we have a little dog at home. I heard a rattling sound. I went back to find Charlotte's dog, and her head was in a Cheez-Its bag that she'd pulled out of the trash. I said, Lord, that's me. I was my flesh. I'd go into the trash. You know, she'd try to get the back off her head. That's me. But, Lord, I'm giving myself to you. And when I wander, I give myself to you again because I'm not my own. Can you say that today? Now let's explore it a little more. Point two, very simply, what does it mean to be slaves to sin? Turn on the back of your outline there. He says in verse 16, he says, you are slaves of the one whom you obey. He starts out first, either of sin, which leads to death. So you can be, you can be a slave of sin. Down in verse 20, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. That's a nice way of saying you didn't care about giving glory to God and, and uh, having a, a spiritual agenda like Jesus has for his disciples. You were free from all that. It's not a bad life. I'm free from what Jesus wants me to do and be. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. And here he gives us an accurate, powerful statement of what slavery to sin is life. He uses the terminology of bondage. Words like impurity and lawlessness, but not just lawlessness, lawlessness that snowballs, that leads to more lawlessness. It leads to shame. It leads to death. Oh, we can't see it. We're like Eve. Remember Eve in the garden? The serpent slithers up to her. God says, you eat of the fruit, you'll die. And what does the, the serpent say? Does he, do you remember? He says, you will not die. <laughs> God. Take, look, look at the apple. Look at it. And it says, she looked at it. And it was pleasing to the eye. Ooh. How can anything that looks so good be wrong? And so she ate. And Adam ate with her. And we ate with them. And we are slaves to sin apart from Christ. Impurity. There is an appetite in your soul. Oh, you say, I'm not like those really bad people. No, but there is an appetite in your soul. I don't know what that impurity is. Mine is, is somehow always, you get down to the root of it, is grounded in, in pride or sensualism or unbelief. It, it burrows down and they rise up. How? Is there impurity in your speech, in your thoughts, in your actions? Some people say, oh, pastor, you overstate man's problem. All I need to do is just get in touch with my inner child. Let that sweet, innocent inner child come out. Now, I'm dating myself. That's the language of 
psychology in the 1980s and 1990s, you know, get in touch with your inner, your inner child and let it come out. But Ed Welch, uh, who's one of my favorite writers, he says, don't kid yourself, you're not getting in touch with your inner child, you're getting in touch with your inner teenager. Because that's who you really are in your flesh. You're in touch with your inner teenager who wants to throw off authority, who wants to throw off rules and regulations, who just wants to live and discover and find their way. You, you folks with five and six-year-olds, fasten your seatbelt. There's an inner teenager, you see, inside of us that wants to insist on their own way. And, it's, and it snowballs. Children don't understand this. Some of us don't understand this. When we are given over to lawlessness, it leads to more lawlessness. It snowballs. They can't see the long-term effect of where the lawlessness is going, but it just gets worse and worse. And grandparents are always saying, trust me, you'll find out. And they say, oh, no. It's pleasing to the eye. It's pleasant. And we apart from Jesus Christ, are like the alcoholic who says, I can stop any time I want. And they are kidding themselves. You say, I'm not an alcoholic preacher. No, but let's get close to home. Have you ever been in that situation where God was calling you to love someone and they were very difficult to love? And your heart was bitter. And your heart was angry. And you knew that that wasn't Jesus' attitude for you, but that was you. Bitter, angry, condemning in your soul, in your private speech. You see, this is us, apart from Christ. And it's shameful. People say, oh, I'm, I'm not ashamed. Hey, listen. Our, our congressman just indicated he's not running again for Congress, right? So there's an open seat in Congress. Maybe one of you would run for Congress. I would love that. Let's, have, let's get some good Christian person there in that congressional district here from Long Island. But when you do, you'll be invited on to 60 Minutes. And Scott Pelley will have you there, and he'll interview you, and, and you'll get a chance to tell why you should be the congressman or congresswoman. And then he'll say, but you know, we're going to show a video of all your ungodliness, all those wicked thoughts, thoughts and speech. We have a recording of your, all your speech and every action that you thought you did in private, and we're going to show that as well. How proud would you be of that? It's shame. We would be ashamed. And the terrible results are that it leads to death. A man boasted the other day to me. He, he wanted to talk about the things of the Lord, but he was resolute. He said, ultimately, he says, ultimately, I'm going to hell, and I'm going to hell because my brother went to hell. I'm sure he did. He had no love for God or no love for Jesus, and he was a murderer. And I'm not going anywhere without my brother, so I'm going to hell to be with my brother. And I thought to myself, and I told him, I said, you have no idea what you're talking about. Yes, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. How could you not 
prefer that. For you see, Jesus did not insist on his own freedom. We are told in Mark 10.45, Mark 10.45, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus, who was free and glorious in heaven, gave up his privilege and became the servant and the slave of all, going to the cross for you and for me. There, the slave of many, to give his life as a ransom for many. Are you among the many? Ransomed. Purchased. If you are, then take your earlobe, you know. Take it to the doorpost and say, I'm yours, Lord forever. And you become slaves of God and slaves of righteousness. That's point number three. The amazing grace of God floods your heart. His love for you overwhelms you because of your Savior. And Paul belts it out in verse 17. Do you see it? In the midst of this unsavory language about slavery, he says, thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient have been set free and become slaves of righteousness. That illustration from Randy Pope last week, I hope it's been with you uh, each, each day that uh, we heard from the pulpit. Imagine that you're a sailor on a ship, and on that ship there is a cruel captain. And in you know, a couple hundred years ago, you didn't just volunteer to be a sailor. You were often conscripted. It was like slavery. You could be conscripted onto the ship. And the captain is cruel. And he beats you mercilessly. And he is wicked and he insults you. But suddenly, a new captain emerges. And he strips the old captain of his authority. And he treats you with gentleness and with love and respect, and a new agenda for your life. Now, the old captain is free to roam on the ship until the next port of call. And one day, that old captain comes, and he finds you, and he starts to berate you, and insult you, and tell you, give you new commands to, to follow after him. And, and you're overwhelmed, and so you do. You start serving him again. And then the good captain shows up, and he says, what are you doing? What are you doing? Why are you speaking or acting or thinking this way? And you tell him, and he says, listen, you no longer have to obey that old captain anymore. You're in my navy now. And we learn, that's what we learn. He says here, present yourself to your good captain. Present yourself, like Michael said in the morning, like I said I want to do in the morning. You're just showing up. Here I am, Lord. I'm yours today. And I want these hands to be your hands and these feet to be your feet and this brain to be taking thoughts captive to Christ. Can you do that? Can you present yourself to him? And you want to do this, it says, from the heart. And oh, friends, I know the struggle. In fact, in Romans 7, that's a couple weeks away. When we get back to Romans 7, we're going to see there is still that struggle between those two old captains vying for your heart, okay, and your day. But still, fundamentally, you are not your own. 
He has no authority over you. You are no longer slaves to sin. You do not have to sin. You can present yourself as a servant of righteousness for the Lord. And the words that he uses, the motivation that is there, is the motivation of gratitude. Gratitude. He says it, verse 17, thanks be to God. It is the motivation of bearing fruit, good fruit. You will bear fruit of righteousness. And Jesus said, I appointed you to bear fruit. And it is the gift of eternal life. Jesus has given you grace. Oh, friends, our Savior is a beautiful Savior. I hope you see him today. You will never, you and I will never get free from sin unless we first have ten looks at Christ. Take ten looks at Christ for every one look at your sin. Behold him, behold him, see him, think upon him. The gift, the free gift of grace, eternal life is yours. And so you present yourself to him. Will you do that now? I want to invite the musicians to come up. I'd like us to stand and to worship him our beautiful Savior.